Recorded live. From Coolidge, Arizona on December the 27th, 2015. Thank you for being aboard today. We're going to have a good study in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Uh, we're still still um, hibernating in verse 11. <clears throat> and b- because there is more than what we talked about here last week. He he is the, um, he, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. And uh, he's suggesting something here that has been missed in everything I've heard during the Christmas season. Who can tell me what it may be? Who's willing to dare to be wrong? Well, that's for sure. But the fact that he was to become a stone, and as a stone he was going to do what? He was going, no. He was going to be a cornerstone of what? Of a building, of a structure. So, you see, Jesus was not the end in himself. We don't proclaim Jesus except as the Christ, but he is not the heart of our proclamation. It's what he came to do. Remember when they came, Mary um, Mary Magdalene came to Jesus during the end of his ministry, and uh, he said, don't cleave to me. I'm not the issue, but the issue is to come. Remember that? People don't realize that Jesus did not come to end it all within himself. He came to establish an organization. He came to establish that which the apostles would be the executors of his will. He came to establish something that can only be achievable and understood through faith. That was the dream of God other than the law because it was visible and it was um, materialistic. God's dream was to establish that place where having not seen God, people still on, based on evidence came to believe in God and to want to trust him, to be obedient to him, and that place was to be the kingdom or the uh, kingdom universally or the church geographically. We have lost that, and when the church is what it ought to be and is doing everything that is involved in what we would imagine a kingdom to be comprised of, that's when the church begins to attract people from all walks of life Muslims and Hindus and everybody else begin to see the church has got it all. We don't buy that, we don't practice that, and we wonder why we just keep floundering. And we keep trying to build things around in the civil world today uh, that violate that very principle of living by faith. 
So in verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. So they, they, there was something to be built. Jesus was a part of it. He was what part of it? He was the head of the corner. He was what held it together. He was the head of the corner. He was the high place built upon the, as we mentioned last week in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, I think it was, the apostles and the prophets. That was the foundation. But it wasn't a foundation to just set on a foundation. You don't build a foundation and then go off and leave it unless you went broke. And Jesus had something to say about that too. You know, if you, you built so far then you didn't have what it took to get the rest of the way, he said, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, using my terms. But that's what Jesus taught. Is you, you, don't sit, you don't begin a project until you have what it takes to get it all the way through. And so here was a project being, gone, being, being begun that was going to be able to continue until, well, forever, uh, forever, age after age. So Jesus was not the end in himself, and this verse is the evidence of that. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. And I may need the interlinear on this uh, to check what I'm going to say some, something here. But in Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Wherever you folks are, if you're in Arizona today, down here in the valley, it's cold. Kay was saying that there's much evidence that Satan has left and gone somewhere else, and we don't know where. But he'll be back. Now, I hope you know more than that. Verse 30. What shall we say then? You know, he's given a whole chapter here of information. And then he says, now, I, you know, we need to add to this. There's, there's, a, re, there's a reason for all of this. So what shall we say then? That Gentiles that's those who were not covenant people, non-covenant people that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness don't jump to conclusions I don't get you into trouble every time who did not pursue righteousness, attained righteousness. So he's talking about not all of them pursued righteousness, but for those who did pursue righteousness, they attained righteousness, the righteousness which came, and what is the word there for by faith? Well, we'll take it whatever it is, it's the way it's going to be. Okay, out of faith. See, they got the word a, uh, by in there, and if you, that by needs to go away. But even the righteousness which is out of faith, 
Faith is not operative. Even the righteousness which is out of faith. So he's talking about those who had a faith. He's not talking about the masses. He's talking about those of the Gentiles who had faith. And out of that faith, they achieved what? Righteousness. We're going to go on here, but I want to I want to come back to that in just a moment. But in verse 31, but Israel, that is the chosen people, the covenant people, who are the covenant people today? The church. We are the covenant people today. Therefore, we are the house of Israel today, but not because we're Jews. Is that mine? That's yours. Um but Israel pursuing a law, they pursued a law, righteousness broken down into law. That's how we like it. We love it that way. We love to be told the do's and the don'ts. It's easier. It's easier. We, the churches that are just exploding. <coughs> are churches that have a very, very strict code. Not always. Because that's attractive. Pursuing a law of right, that they have reduced righteousness into keeping do's and don'ts. But with that system of do's and don'ts that they thought would make them really honorable, did not arrive, did not arrive at law. They they were pursuing a law. And you can't get to law and the law of righteousness, by pursuing it, it doesn't happen that way. That's, and he says why in verse 32. They did not pursue it, and what's the word there? Ordea. We're sure getting a lot of um, interruptions here. Oh, I barely hear that. No, I put it on airplane mode. Um, So is is out of faith because they sought it not out of faith. They did not pursue it out of faith, but as though it were out of. See the word ek there, by, is translated by, but it shouldn't be by. Ek is never by, it's always out of. Ek, either it's spelled like that or it's spelled like the other one, and that depends on whether the word following it is a consonant or a vowel. See that? So down here you have the next word, the word of works. Uh, ergon is, uh, begins with a vowel, the epsilon, and so the word prior to it, um, is spelled differently. 
So anyway, they did not pursue it out of faith, but as though it were out of works. So the the people of Israel... were pursuing a law that they assumed made up the package of righteousness, but they never could arrive at it because they didn't do it through or out of faith. Faith must be first. They stumbled over, oh, this is where we get into verse 11 of our text in Acts chapter 4, they stumbled over the Stumbling stone, there are a lot of reasons why they rejected Jesus in verse 11. Because he did not fit their image of what the world should be like. They had an, they had an idea that by having a law of righteousness and pursuing that law of righteousness, they could get it all put together. But because it did not come out of faith, but out of accomplishment and out of works, they stumbled when Jesus came along because he was proving the opposite. If we were living in verse 11 at that time, would Jesus have fit your mind your idea of what it was going to take to put society together. What Jesus came to do was to establish the program that God had in mind for all of the world, as long as the earth continues. He did what God wanted him to do, and we need to bring our thinking into harmony with God's thinking on this issue, that Jesus may not fit our idea, but we need to change our idea to fit what it was Jesus was and what he did. Jesus was not the end in himself. The law was not the end in itself. And I want to go now to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Now, let's begin with chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to read it quickly here. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten of God. Joabo says born, probably. But it comes from the same Greek word. There's no difference. 
uh, is the is uh, that Jesus is the Christ is begotten of God or be or born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. So if there is, if you have a belief in who Jesus is, that belief has been begotten, and whoever has a love for the Father because he was born out of the Father, is going to love the other children that are born by the same Father. And we have a problem with that. By this, we know that we love the children of God. Now, he didn't leave it arbitrary. When, here's how we know, when we love God, love is a decision that is made. God so loved the world, that was a decision that God made. He didn't have any emotion toward the world. He loved the world because they were potentially his, well, they were his creation and potentially like him. It was a decision. And by the way, that word, in John 3.16 is when it says God so loved the world. Love there is in the arrowist tense, past tense, one-time action. It wasn't continuing. It wasn't in the present tense. The only way now that you can be in God's love is to be where God's love is, and that's the church. We keep telling people that God loves them, and we wonder why they just keep rotting away. You know, that's that's Whenever you do that, you're just telling people, go rot. That's not the right thing to do. God has a place where his love is, and we have to be where that love is in order to be loved by him. God is not a promiscuous lover. That's hard, isn't it? We haven't heard that. By this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know not because you enjoy a great potluck. Not because you can dribble. I'm talking about slobber at the mouth with somebody. But when we love God, we have a decision that we've made about God and then observe his life, his commandments. Everybody wants to take that back to the law. Now, we all know better than that now, don't we? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, verse 4 is the punchline. For whatever is begotten of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God, whatever is begotten of God, same word, same idea, (coughs) overcomes the world. That's an attitude, disposition, all of those nebulous things. That's of the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, 
what? Our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And we keep trying to force our society into a law-driven society. The key word there is driven. Not that we shouldn't have laws. But faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so God has established, beginning with Christ and the apostles and the prophets, those are the founders of the nation that God takes cognizance of. Those are the founding fathers that we need to know about. Because upon that foundation, we have then the only way that we can have a relationship with God is where we, when we are where it is that God established through Christ the apostles and the prophets that we can enjoin only through faith. And it's that society of faith, that community of faith people that will overcome the world. That's the victory that overcomes the world. Why shouldn't that be where we put our thinking and our energy and our money? We're talking about our money now. Well, I can. Oh, that's... that's oh. Yeah. Well, what about your candy cane? You can have that. Oh. Just the broken end. <laughs> you always know where, you know, where where people's treasure is is where their heart is. You know, it's easy to put that together with folks. But here we have in chapter 4 in 11 of Acts, all of this, that Jesus was not the end in himself, but he came to establish something that all of mankind could be a part of, but the only way you can be a part of that which you cannot see is through what? Faith. And it's through that faith that the victory over the world is accomplished. And yet, we just keep avoiding that. That's the ideal. That's the way God wants it to be. He wants every community to be self-growing because it's a community of faith doing the right thing, believing what God has said about things we cannot see. That's faith. And that in its entire picture then is referred to in the New Testament as grace. Grace is what God has done for all of mankind equally. And the objective of faith was to bring us to the situation of faith. I don't know whether I'm clear or not. Do we need to rehash something there yet? Grace 
For is everyone equally? Grace is what God has done for all of mankind equally. We participate in it by our choice. Grace began with the creation. Everything that God has done is referred to somewhere in the Bible as an aspect of grace. That we have to do something but to we, the grace. That's right. Grace is not operative. Grace is a place or an event. When you and the little phrase up there, you know, grace is static. We take our position in grace. When we are in Christ, we are where? We are also in grace because he has been the provision of God made available to all of mankind equally but is efficient only to those who participate in it. You get that? So, if you have a text and it says by grace, you know that's wrong. Because that doesn't exist. It's on account of grace or through grace or something, some other preposition, but by grace just simply doesn't exist because that would make grace then an agent. And grace is never an agent. It is always static. It is simply the end product of what God has done to benefit all of mankind at any one time and to benefit them equally. That's why the law of the Old Covenant is never referred to as what did I just get through saying? Never referred to as grace because of why? Because it was not available to all of mankind equally. It was available only to whom? The tribe of Israel. And Jesus came only to whom? To Israel. Have we read that recently? Isn't, isn't that in John chapter 15? Maybe not. It was, it was uh, in the context with, um, maybe it's chapter 19. Um, if I don't find it real quick, we'll just, uh, of the uh, Samaritan woman. Um We've already read that. Okay, so I don't get my eye on it real quick. I thought it was in thought it was in fifteen. I don't see it. It's your fault. You should know that. I don't, but then you should. But that that Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, "Do you not know that Jesus?" has come to who? Only. Remember? The only. Only to the house of Israel. Israel. And the reason is that he came to them. He lived with them. His teaching was about them and their end at the fall of Jerusalem. So we don't go back for in his ministry and in his gospel to learn how we ought to be today because what he said was to whom? 
the Jews, and the he then ascribed to the apostles the business of te- teaching them what was applicable to the church. So we go to the apostles' teaching, and that's what we have on the front of our bulletin, and they continue steadfastly in the who's? In the apostles' teaching. Strange thought to start at the source and then work your way out. What was that, Alex? Who would have ever thought to start at the source of something and then work outward from it? Well, now that's creative. That's 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 weird. Nobody does that. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Alex. Okay, let's go to verse 12 now. I think we've got enough. Any questions on verse 11? I've probably talked about it so much we forgot what it was about. But it is important to realize, folks, that Jesus was not the end in himself. He, he was a stone, a part of a structure. All people hate structure. It wasn't too long ago uh, I was in a conversation with somebody and they were talking about corporations. Oh, they just thought corporations were terrible. Anything that was incorporated was just evil. Evil, evil to, we've got to get rid of corporations. Where'd you get that shirt? Made by a corporation? Where'd you get your underwear? made by a corporation. So you want to get rid of everything that made everything you're wearing, including your glasses. Everything is made by a corporation. Now, it wouldn't have to be that way, but we have a tax law that requires everything to be incorporated for liability purposes. And so that we can sue something without suing individuals, because if you sue individuals, you lose, but if you sue corporations, you can win. So we like corporations. You know, all these big lawsuits, these huge big lawsuits that are going on all through our country, you know, millions and millions, billions of dollars sometimes, they'd never win that against an individual. But they can win it, and, of course, those proceeds go to some government agency. See, they can win it if it's a corporation, but they can't win it if it's an individual. So we we have made a monster out of ourselves um, uh, ourselves uh, by forming corporations which are for the protection of yourself wouldn't have to be that way but everything we have today is made by a corp. this is made by a corporation this mic is made by a corporation the paper is processed by a corporation everything is made or processed by a corporation name something that isn't well, if you got a tomato plant in your backyard, you know, but you probably bought the seeds through a corporation, you know, where do you go? Everything is done by a corporation today. So these people on the street, anti-corporation, that's nonsense. Just silly. You know, that isn't even worthy of a discussion. So let's go to verse 12. It's worthy of discussion. So now, Peter gets serious. He said, now you guys rejected the cornerstone, but God didn't. 
He has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is there is none other name. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, and there is no other person? What's the significance of that? All right. So we need to then promote the name, the full disclosure. Good morning. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm sick. Oh, yeah, I'm on my deathbed. And I'm getting worse. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. So, neither is there salvation in any other. And he leaves you there not knowing, well, he may have known where you were going to try to go with that other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men. Now, it's not the name of Jesus. All we need to do is talk about Jesus. Well, that's not the name. Everybody, you know, today, a lot of Mexicans are called Jesus. Jesus. That's a common name. It was a common name in Jesus' time. He had to have just a regular name. That isn't what it's talking about. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we We must be saved. So we have to be saved by the name. It's not the name of Jesus. You can say that till you are blue in the face. And it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Unless you are using it to define and identify the person of the name. And the person of the name really is Jesus, but that's really not his name. The name is everything that he represents. That's why we are to baptize people in the name, which is singular. It means everything for which they stand. Mark 16, 15 or 16. All right. So there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be. You you mean it's not, I thought it was being a Democrat. Anybody believe that? (laughs) Nobody believes that. But, you know, but it's not a, a, but he's a conservative. Well, I I am so conservative, I make conservatives look like weapons left-wing liberals. But that really isn't the the salvation of the issue either. And 
don't want to pick on everybody equally. But we get to thinking that if people agree with us on some of these things, we've got more in common with them than we do with people who believe in the name. And folks, that's paganism. You might as well just shuck it all. Because if you're making your identity with any organization on this earth, if you are making your identity with any organization on this earth, you've missed the boat. I don't believe in lodges. Some of you folks do. Some of you folks are members of the lodge. I don't believe in lodges. Don't believe we need to be a part of a lodge, particularly if in their statutes they believe in things that we can't buy. But that's an individual matter. But that's not going to save you. No matter how loyal, no matter how big you are in that organization, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're a Sadducee or a Pharisee. Oh, in Jesus' time, oh, we're Pharisees. You know, that to be a Pharisee was the best of everything. That's the best of the, all of the world. Sadducees had a lot of power as well. So some folks identified with the Sadducees. But the Pharisees, they, they, they wanted to adhere to the law. And they wanted to do it unmercifully. And they wanted to add their interpretation to the law so they could even get better control over the people. And their factor was that they wanted to control the people whereas the Sadducees wanted to have no control at all because it didn't make any difference because there was no resurrection. Those two extremes. We have the same extremes in the church today. Same kind of thing. So we need to focus on verse 12. There is no salvation in any other, and we can add a period there, although your Bible may have a semicolon. There is salvation in no in any other, period. That's the end of the ballgame. There is no salvation anywhere else except in the situation of faith. I don't care how good you think you live. I don't care how you think you treat everybody else. I don't care about that. You're still going straight to hell. And you won't be, it won't take you long once you die. It takes about four, four seconds. If you haven't got this right, you haven't got anything right. And people need to come to grips with that. They need to come to grips that there is no salvation in any of the worldwide systems that have been made by man. There is no salvation by anything or through anything that has been made by mankind. And the only thing that God has made is what we are opening up right here in the book of Acts. That's it, folks. There's nothing else. That doesn't mean you can't belong to something else. We're not saying that. But if that's a part of your salvation, you, you're wanting. You're found wanting. Just like Belshazzar in the book of Daniel. So there is salvation in no other. Period. 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 
There is no other name, no other thing, no other identity, no other full disclosure under heaven, no other system, government, religion, or anything else that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. There's not another door that you have to go through into the kingdom except that through Christ. Now, he's saying a powerful statement here that you ought not be the same when you leave this room today. It ought to have an impact. i got to read verse 13, and then we'll close. Our time is up. Now, you see, they interpreted this. They were there. They were there. They were there. They heard what Peter and John were saying. They saw what Peter and John had done with the lame man. But now they were impressed by the timidity of Peter. Now, when they saw the timidity of Peter and John, yeah, oh, they were so quaky, shaky. But you see, they weren't that way at all. Now, when they saw the what? The boldness, the confidence. The boldness of Peter and John. Wow. No timidity there. Strong, courageous, standing in front of these people who had been the very murderers of the one of whom they are now talking about. And so you builders are the ones who rejected. And their boldness, created a reaction when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned. And that simply means they didn't have any degrees. They were unlettered, literally graphic. Um, you have that? Uh, and we'll have, I, think, I think it's the word graphics in the Greek. Um, Verse um, 13, so to Peter, and perceive that these men, yeah, see that down, down the very bottom corner left on the left there, you need to need to move the machine up. There you go. Yeah, see there where that, uh, that's the word graphics. Unlettered is what that word means. Unlearned. That means formally unlearned. You see that? It's the word um, to, uh, uh, um, what did you say? Degree with. Yeah, they were, they were without degree. They had no paperwork, no degree. Do <laughs> confidence. I want to see how strong that is. A boldness? Okay, let's go back to boldness. Now they observe the confidence. First, 
boldness. And uh, go ahead and give the uh, definition of that. Outspokenness, frankness. You know, being able to speak out of full assurance. Well, you know, and this is a, if anything, if, if there was any situation where they should have been politically correct, this would be it. Because look at what, what they're doing, what, they, what these people have seen, what the event was, and we're still in Jerusalem, folks. So when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw this frankness, the bluntness that they said, about the issues at hand. We're missing that in our church today. Everything is talked around. Round about, round about. You know, take the edges off. Yeah, yeah. In the context of everything else in the Bible, you would think these two guys standing up in front of a bunch of men from all around, accusing them of being the ones who killed the Christ, should expect to be stoned for that. And they have normal reaction in most situation. These guys went, oh, so we need to learn something. Yeah. There's something, and we're not done yet. Yeah, you probably guessed that. <laughs> okay, let's close, folks. We got well, I wanted to leave you with the boldness of Peter and John to ponder, that if you stand for what is right, don't be timid. Don't be stupid but don't be timid about what it is that you have solidified in your thinking. Father, we thank you for men as Peter and John who stood up to these people and uh, laid it out straight. And may we look at their example and follow it when appropriate. We pray that these uh, lessons will be beneficial for the establishment and the deepening of our faith in Christ as our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.